Yeah, so um, because we're changing senior leadership to Dan, um, Trevor and I are doing, uh, I'm, we're doing a, a sandwich. So I'm the filling. Yes. Um, and as I haven't got any props, I just want to really share my heart today. So my verse is from Isaiah 49, verse 6. I'm sharing you my heart of what I see about how God wants to influence the world and restore it. So my, the, why I put it as restorers and transformations. And Trevor's doing looking back and looking forward. I'm doing looking down and looking up. Um, so we complement each other perfectly. Um, now, my father, when he had a reel-to-reel when he was alive, before cassette, I even had a cassette tape recorder, we had a reel-to-reel story of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And it's a story of travellers through the universe. And they do things like go to Beetlejuice, which is a star system. But I always kind of like, I loved it, and I love the thought about travelling through space because it makes our eyes bigger off the earth, doesn't it? And when I actually saw how big the real Beetlejuice is, my head went, because we get so small thinking, we get so tiny, we get like chickens clucking in the earth, when actually we should be eagles soaring on the heights. Our eyes should be up, not down. They're only down when we're looking after people. And it's easy in multimedia to go around little wormholes and get stuck on things, and, and it's really designed to get you trapped into small things. Instagram and Facebook designed to get you trapped down into small things. It's time to break your eyes out and look higher. God says, look up again, look higher. So the verse is, I'm going to read it in case you got distracted. He says, this is God, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. I'm going to look at this word restore. I love the word restore. It appears 136 times in the Bible. So you kind of think it's a pretty important theme through the Bible. And Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines it as bringing back to a former condition. Now, when we first went into... um, the restoration movement, I, was, we came from a, I came from a small Baptist church, quite a parochial Baptist church, and we had lots of prayer meetings, lots of things, but our eyes were quite small. And we came into the restoration movement, and uh, God really gripped my heart with something new. I was really sad over the fact that the Garden Eve and everything fell to pieces. This amazing plan God had to have a perfect relationship with his family fell to pieces. And mankind mucked it up. And the whole world was broken. Not human beings, but the whole of the world was broken. And I looked and I saw a God who cared. And his heart wasn't just to leave it there. His heart was to transform it, to restore it back to what his dream was. So he sent his only son. And I heard that son saying, the kingdom of God is here. I'm preparing a place a place where all things are coming back to my design, a back to fullness and wholeness and peace and joy, a plan of my dreams. Restoration is where God gets to dream and we get to join in God's dream. And all I see when I look out on the news and I hear the radio, I see a mankind who is still selfish, 
who's still wrecking the world, who's still wrecking countries, who's still in war, who's still bringing trauma, destruction, ravaging our lands. But I see a God who's pure, who's perfect, who's a very source of love, who's a very source of wellness and wholeness. We come out with these words on our, on our earth, but he is the source of every goodness. It doesn't come from us. And this is what I live for. A God who is the source of everything, who has a purpose to bring the whole of earth and the whole of mankind back to himself. To restore not only our condition, but also the purpose that we live in. I was thinking of the repair shop when they bring like little old things and they're all tattered and torn and broken and they restore them back to the purpose that they were made for. Mankind was made for a relationship with each other and with God and restoration is bringing us back to that purpose. So I'm going to unpack this verse into two parts. The first line, the first sentence, is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel who I've kept. The tribes of Israel are God's chosen people. The family of God, from Abraham right up to us, we're all part of God's family. And he takes us on a journey to win hearts back to his heart, to take those broken and give them a family, to take those people who are on the edges and put them in the centre. He calls us to love him, and follow him, and to, and to call the prodigals back. And in order for us to be restored in this circumstance, there's four ruz. My son has got a weak R, he says. A rrr. A rrr. So the four R's, I'm going to go through them very quickly. The first one is replace. He replaces our hearts of stone with the hearts of flesh. Allows us to feel and love and, 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 and all those things again. Number two is he renews. By focusing on the Bible, he renews our mind. He changes our heart, he renews our mind to a, a better place. Number three is he revives us. Through the resurrection of Jesus, he comes and he revives our very heart's heart and our very life into something new. And the fourth one is return. By the saving work of Jesus on the cross, we can return back and we're reunited to God. We're reunited to our heavenly home. That's how the family of God is reunited and restored. Um, what happens if God can take broken hearts and broken minds and broken lives? And what if no one is too far gone? What if no one has slipped too far away? What if there's a no prodigal who's gone too far that God can't restore him back to himself? What if God is so powerful? Imagine this. Imagine a, such a powerful God. He can take anybody, whatever state they're in, and restore them back to their own purpose, the condition they should be, and to his heart. Imagine a God that big. Imagine a God that big. How about we make God too small? And we put people off and we say, actually, that person, they're not really suitable for God's kingdom because they're too far gone. The person who turns up on the door who's filthy and drunk and an addict, do we dismiss them and say, actually, they're a little bit too far gone? They're a little bit too far gone. Perhaps God's power isn't far enough that they can be transformed and restored back to the kingdom of heaven. I wonder. So he brings back health and joy. He forgives. He strengthens. He binds up. 
He gives them an inheritance into his own family. And I fell in love with this God. This God who just has such a passion for people, who wants to create a family. This is the God we serve. This is a God of faithfulness who we serve. So let's go back to this verse because I want to expand it. We're doing too small. It's still too small. He says it's too small a thing to restore those in the church family that he's kept. But I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation might reach the ends of the earth. A light for those who can't see, who don't know what God is. Imagine if you walk into a dark field and everyone's camping and it's pitch black and you're tripping over the guy ropes, you turn a torch on. Woo! Where does the darkness go? Or you're in a car and it's really bad, you turn the lights on. Oh, I know where I'm going now. Or you're going for a midnight walk, a midnight feast, and the moon is so bright you can almost see like they. It's amazing how a small light, a small match in a very dark place makes a massive difference. You don't have to do massive events to become a small match that chases the darkness away. But sometimes we get so used to the amazingness of the gospel, we think it's about us. For God so loved me, he sent his only son to die for me. We change the gospel into my life, my world, my set. But it says God so loved the world. He sent his son for the world. And C.S. Lewis says, don't shine that others can see you. Shine so that through you, others can see him. It's the whole purpose we shine. And we lose the sight of this great mission, reaching the ends of the earth. Sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we feel it's too much. But we just have to keep looking up. And remember that we are not the centre of the universe. Our house is not the centre of the gospel. He has a dream that's so much bigger than that. It's not just your family. It's not even this town, but it's for the ends of the earth. Imagine an almighty God, a God that's all-powerful, that fills the whole universe. Imagine a God that is a sovereign of everything, that is beautiful in holiness, that's the Alpha and Omega, that existed before time, that sees all, that knows all, that's in all. Imagine a God that is even bigger than just our small known universe that feels expansive everything. Let's raise our eyes up higher to the eternity. So I'm going to take you to another verse now. It's from Isaiah. I love Isaiah. Can you guess? 58.12. And we're going to look at four R's for um, this next session of reaching the ends of the earth. It says, your people will rebuild ancient ruins and will raise up age-old foundations. You will, be recall, you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. I imagine our God dreaming that all those broken lives, broken homes, broken families, right across the world, in war-torn areas, in places where there's famine, in places in Huddersfield, all being restored to his glory, to their glory, to their purpose, to his heart. 
It's time to raise our eyes to eternity. Unless you see eternal, the mission of God makes no sense. It's just a nice thought that Jesus loves me. It's a nice alternative way of living. My life is a little bit better with God in it. I've got a nice church family to go to. When we realise that, that what we're saving people from and what we're saving people into, eternal life, life with almighty God, it makes a difference. And that Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life. It's worth telling people. All those life hacks that you find that you go around saying, oh, look, I didn't realise I could do this for years and years. And look at this. All these things that you're passionate about. And Jesus is the most passionate gift that you can give people. Because it doesn't just last for this life. It's eternal. It affects our whole eternal welfare. Their eternal welfare now, their spiritual welfare now, and their life for eternity. I want you to think about life in 100 years. And now add on a thousand, and now a million, and now 10 million, now times that by a hundred, and then keep on going. It's life for eternity. That's what we're giving the people a gift of life, eternal life. It's massive. And we can do this. We can do this. Don't forget who you are. So, people who raise their eyes up know where their feet are planted. You wouldn't put your eyes up if you knew that you were just about to fall down a pit hole. You raise your eyes when you know who you are, when you know you're chosen, you know you're called, you know you're adopted into God's lives. You don't have to keep watching your foot. foot oh, I'm making a mistake here. Am I doing this right? It's like, I'm chosen. I've got a purpose. God loves me. I'm doing this. You lift your eyes up. Jesus was tempted in all sorts of different ways to prove who he was. And he didn't listen. He just carried on. And Jim Elliot, he was a famous guy who was, he was only 28 when he decided to go to Ecuador, was it? He went to a country where he knew the tribes were very violent. And God put it on his heart and he obeyed and went anyway. 28. And they killed him. And they found his body down the river. But he said this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This was a guy whose eyes were on eternity. He didn't care what happened to his body. He knew that he had eternal life. It didn't matter. So raise your eyes when you feel secure, when you know what you've got to offer. And just because he's, he's good. Jesus understood where he was coming from and where he was going to, and he often raised his eyes in prayer, in thanks. It's all part of it. Even just the small thing of saying grace for every meal, raising your eyes to heaven rather than fixing your eyes on the 10 minutes that you've made chopping up your bread and buttering it. Just thank God. Raise your eyes to heaven. So raise your eyes. Next one is respond with compassion. Jesus was often moved with deep compassion. The smallest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. He was a man who loved people. He moved, he healed, he fed them, he, he discipled them out of compassion. He didn't feel he had to do it. Pray for the same heart as Jesus. Just sit before God and say, God, give me compassion for this world, the same that you've got. May I mirror your compassion? And don't be surprised if you start crying because it's costly. You really have to mean those words. 
As he moved with compassion, you find you're moving to places where people aren't as simple and aren't as easy. They're more complex. They don't deserve it. And you have to love them anyway. It is costly. And it says in the verse I've just read, um, restoring the waste places, the places that are ruins, the hearts that are broken, the hearts that are in pieces. They don't even know where to start putting their hearts back together again. We move in compassion. But the key to do this is just to do it. And it doesn't matter how big or small. And don't expect anybody to be watching you. Just do it because you love them and you love God. There's a lovely story in the Bible. My parents fortunately called me Alison. The alternative name they had for me was Dorcas. But luckily there was, I've probably told you this before, they had a donkey of a friend who they called the baby donkey Dorcas, so they decided not to call me. But actually I've looked at this story this last few weeks and it's really gripped my heart. Because Dorcas was also known as Tabitha. And she was a lady, you don't know whether she's married, she's got a family, but she had deep compassion for people who were poor. She says, the Bible says she was always doing good. But she didn't make a song of a dance of it. What she did was she saw the widows. Obviously, in those days, they had no benefits or anything. So once your husband died, you had no income. They had no clothes. She used to make them clothes. But nobody knew this. She just did it out of compassion. But then something tragic happened. She died. And the people of the town called to Peter and said, please, will you come and raise Dorcas from the dead? We know you're a man of God. And Peter walked into the room where Dorcas was lying dead. And all these widows were filling the room. And they'd brought all the clothes that she'd made for them. And said, this is what she'd made for us. Please, will you raise her from the dead? And it's now recorded in the Bible. But nobody would have known that. Nobody would have known what, that she did all those good things if she hadn't died. And Peter did raise her from the dead. And it became all known of Joppa. And a lot of people believed in it. The, the miracle and became Christians because of it. But here is Dorcas, the clothes maker, quietly sewing in a quiet room, doing a quiet little thing out of compassion for people who had no one to help them. But we didn't know about it. That's what compassion does for you. Joe Cox, who was an MP um, in Batley, very near here, she died in 2016. I don't think she was a Christian but she was passionate about people. She had compassion on people. And she got killed in the line of duty because of her passion for trying to make the community better. And she said, I will not live in the country where thousands of people are living lonely lives, forgotten by the rest of us. I won't live in a country where thousands of people are living lonely lives, forgotten by the rest of us. We have a family to draw them into. We don't have to leave them lonely. We don't have to leave them lonely. These people who are choosing to either feed their kids or heat the house. These people who have no means of washing their clothes so lose all sense of dignity. These people who shut themselves away because they've got learning difficulties, have no purpose and get depressed. These people who are carers, who spend day and night looking after those who are ill or with dementia. These people who are grieving the loss of a child. The people who are fleeing violence from trauma of domestic violence. People who are fleeing their country due to war and violence. The people who are struggling with famine and poverty. Let's not forget them. Let's not forget them. Let's not find these issues too big. 
We're the church of God. We have a heart from Jesus, our maker. Those without hope, those without love, those without peace, those without joy, those without self-respect and honour. Let us be the people who make a difference. Let us be the people who respond with compassion. And C.S. Lewis, one of my favourite authors, I'm putting all my favourites in tonight, he said one of the most cowardly things ordinary people do is to shut their eyes to the fact. We shut our eyes so that we don't have to feel compassion, so we don't have to do anything. So that was respond with compassion. Number three, report and radiate what you do see. You are eternal, heavenly people. You are chosen of God. Even this morning, we went into the heavenlies and saw God. It's a better story when you look up and see God. It's a better story when he shows you how to love well. It's a better story when you feel in pieces and he raises you up. How about we declare good stories? How about we show people the light? How about we stop grumbling and mumbling and we show them how good eternity is, how good our God is? How about we remember his faithfulness? How about we remember everything he's done for us? How about we stop using words? I've been thinking this last few weeks. I've heard a lot of people use words like, oh, it was a nightmare. It was tragic. Oh, I'm desperate. I'm starving. And the issues might be, a child's dropped to reading books in the puddle. Oh, it's a nightmare. No, it's not a nightmare. It's just a slight inconvenience. Oh, my heels broke on a night out last night. It was tragic. No, your shoe just broke. You're all right. Nothing's, if your house fell down, might be tragic. Or how about, I'm desperate. I couldn't find a shop that sold feta cheese last night for my salad. Oh, I was desperate. No, you weren't desperate. And the other one is like, I hadn't eaten till 6 p.m. today. I was starving. You weren't starving. I think we have to put our words into context and stop over-exaggerating things because it changes our mindset. We are blessed. We are blessed from God. He's showing us our faithfulness. And every time we make something, a mountain into a molehill, we're saying he's not a faithful God. He's let us down somehow. He's not been good to us. We have challenges. I don't want to belittle anybody's challenges. We have challenges. Life is full of challenges. But we have a good God who comes to us in our dark places, who comes and he lifts us up. But there's a world full of people with challenges too, who need our love and our compassion. So let's see the glory of, let people see the glory of God through us. Our words, our stories. How can they see eternity? How can they understand God, love? How do they know God's been faithful to you? You're going to have to tell them. You're going to have to tell them what God's done for you. And the thing about stories, we're not very good at telling stories. I'm not very good at telling stories. Sit down sometime this week and write down all the thing, good things that God's done for you. Sit down and write them all down. Because sometimes we forget. I forget about that healing and that story. It might not even be your story. It might be a borrowed story. It might be uh, the story of the healing of the baby last, that Nathan brought Reuben, that's it. Last time he was just like amazing stories. You might need to borrow a story if you can't think. But think of your own story. Times when you've 
just thought God, there wasn't enough money and something turned up. Or you just walked into and feeling really low and someone just gave you a hug. And then write it as if you wanted to listen to that story. Practice it in the mirror. And then go out and tell somebody. We kind of expect that we can bumble through life telling really precious stories of gold into life and just expecting them to come out wonderful. They're not. We're not wonderfully designed to tell really interesting stories when we're on the run. Practice them. Get them into 30 seconds. You're queuing up in a supermarket. Someone comes, you get stuck. Really good conversation. Oh, this happened. Do you know what? That happened to me. But when I was in that situation, God stepped in and he, he healed me. Did he? Yeah, it happened like this. Bam, 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 bam. Wow. 30 seconds, you've dropped a piece of nugget of gold into their hearts. You can do it. It's not difficult. Just prepare, prepare yourself. Report and radiate what you see of God. And the last one is restore roots to God. Um, in the King James, the verse we've been looking at, it says, the repairer of the breach, restorer of paths to dwell in. These places are roads to. Roads go somewhere. They go from somewhere into somewhere. And the Bible is full of roads. And they tend to lead to God. And this verse in Isaiah... Slipping another Isaiah one. I'd like to read it to you because it's an amazing road. This is what the Lord says. I will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its, what's it, its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, and those in darkness, be free. There's nothing worse than being hopeless, chained up in darkness. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst nor will the desert heat nor the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. See, they'll come from afar, some from the north and some from the west and some from the region of Aswan. I like putting Aslan in there. Some from the region of Aslan. Roads that we can show people the way to go on. It's another thing that I've been thinking about recently a lot of, is showing people's love is just not enough. Being kind to people is not enough. Lots of people are kind. Lots of people show love. If we can't show them the path and the right way to go, then the love becomes almost like everybody else's kind of love. But the love has to have truth in it. It has to carry truth in order to honour and respect that person. That there is a truth about the way you find God, and it does involve repentance. It does involve turning from your ways. It does involve facing him and embracing a God of heaven. It's not just about love because we turn love into something very emotive and very gooey and soft. And love, it does mean um, challenging people with what restoration looks like. Turning to Jesus, building a pathway. So in this church, we need to find how many pathways we can take to lead people from a place where we're loving them, which is, which is important. 
places that we love them into the presence of Jesus. That we can take their arms and say, look, I know a way where you can meet the Heavenly Father. Come with me. Paths into God's presence. Paths into truth. Paths into a way of life. Paths into righteousness. Paths into justice. The tragic thing I see right now is people trying to fix themselves and fix their own lives. So they come out of a situation where they are kind of loosely related to a church. They know a little bit about love. They use some of the principles of the Bible. They may, oh, I've got nice family. Nice. Go to a good school. I kind of love my neighbor. And they think that's the gospel. Without Jesus, that's not truth. Without Jesus and him, that's not okay. The center of the gospel is Jesus on the cross, dying for us, making a way into heaven. And this way into heaven looks like practical clothes. It does look like action. So if you want to get somebody on a path, you have to show them a love that that is real. There's no point in saying to somebody, I'm going to pray for you. If they've got no clothes and no heating, it's like, how can God be a God of love? I can't eat. I've got no clothes. My family's breaking down. I'm running away from my husband who's beating me. And you can't help me. It's like, no, let's show love to those people. Practical love. Love looks like something. It's not just a prayer. It looks like arms around somebody, listening to their story, being generous, giving someone time, taking them from that place and saying, but I've also got a pathway that can get you out of this. A pathway of light, a pathway that brings you freedom. Come with me. I know the truth. I know the truth of eternity. So lift your eyes up. I'm trying to find my three R's now. <coughs> lift your eyes up to heaven. Respond with compassion. Report and radiate when you see God. And restore roots to God. What I'd like to do is just to ask you, are you willing to take on the challenge that God says? It's not for everybody. It says it's too, too small a thing for you to just restore the family, but also to be a light to the Gentiles, those people who don't know him. Are you up for it? Are you up for it? Because he produces all the source and all the power and everything that we need for this. It doesn't even have to come from us. I know God's real because all the love and life that I exude does not come from me. I'm miserable and I'm introverted and I'm not a brilliant person. I know he produces everything in me. That's why I know God's real. And the same for us. We don't have to rely on our own strength. We can lean on him. So if you'd like to shut your eyes, we're just going to see what God does. Father God, we come in soberness and we hear your call to see your dream of your kingdom come, of people restored to you, of having hope for all, believing in transformation for all lives. God, we come as your servants because we call you our Lord. We come in obedience. 
We say, put our eyes on heaven once more. Let us know who we are, that we are filled with your spirit, that we are empowered, that we have everything we need. Set our, light, our eyes on eternity as those who can bring hope, bring love, bring joy, bring peace, mend broken hearts. May we not be people who just talk. But we bring your kingdom and your love to people's hearts and lives and show them a way to you. Just while your head's bowed, I just want to read you this passage from Isaiah 58. It's from God. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry. Inviting the homeless into your homes. Inviting the poor into your church. Putting clothes on the shivering, ill-clad. Being available to your own families. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about people's sins. If you're generous with the hungry and start giving yourself to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadows' lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden and a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew, rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. If you watch your step on the Sabbath... Don't use my holy day for personal advantage. If you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day as a day of celebration, if you honour it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there, then you will be free to enjoy God. Oh, I'll make you ride high and soar above it all. I'll make you feast on the inheritance of your ancestor Jacob. Yes, God says so. Amen.